there's a lot of times now that when I talk to, to people who either are parents of young children who, or who are likely going to be parents of young children, hey, get, let your kids, get your kids outside to play. Get them involved in multiple sports. They don't need to play one sport early on year round. You know, if, if that happens later on because of success, okay. But get them in multiple sports year round. Get them outside, let them play. Let them, you know, let them scratch their knees and elbows. They'll be okay. You know, I'm not saying to get in fights, but if they get in a little bit of a scrap, it'll be okay. You know, experience those kind of things because uh, we there, there are members of our department that have joked, and maybe it's not much of a joke, but hey, we don't need a fitness test. What I want you to do, and they're, now they're talking to a young person aspiring to come to West Point. What I want you to do is go climb that tree and then come back down safely. Then go swim across that slow moving river. Then when you get to the other side, pick up a few rocks and throw them at that tree over there and try and hit that target, right? And those are the kind of things that if you're doing those on a day-to-day basis, you're kind of instilling the movement patterns that humans are all, have, always been, have always meant to have. We're, we're not meant to sit in chairs and lay in beds and eat Cheetos and watch TV. We do that. That's the world we live in now. I get it. But get outside and play. Uh, so if we can get kids in a safe environment outside and, and playing and being creative and using their minds to, um, you know, connect to their bodies and their bodies to connect to their minds, you know, we're getting closer to what, you know, a, a lot of society, early societies did out of necessity. But if we can bring some of that back, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know the DP or West Point can influence that, but if we could in some way, that'd be great. Hey team, welcome back. Uh, Drew and Alex here. We're, we're taking you back to school tonight. Alex, who do we th- who do we have on today? We are. We are literally taking you back to school. My school, at least. We've got Colonel Nick Gist. He's a career aviator, a CH-47 Chinook pilot. In his Army career, served in command and staff roles at a wide range of echelons, everything from company command to senior staff roles in Iraq and Afghanistan. But why he's on the podcast here, uh, over a couple tours at West Point's Department of Physical Education, he has taught gymnastics, boxing, strength development, golf, alpine skiing, and fundamentals of personal and organizational fitness. Along that journey, he, he got a bachelor's in life sciences from West Point, a master's in exercise science from the University of Georgia, and a PhD in exercise physiology also from Georgia. Uh, he did a, a lot of research during that, especially on high intensity training, some of it specifically high intensity interval training. His work has been published in the likes of Military Medicine, Journal of Applied Physiology, Journal of Strength and Conditioning Research, all the big ones. But most importantly, he lays claim to what may be the coolest job title in existence. As of 2015, he became the 27th Master of the Sword which is the head of West Point's Department of Physical Education. And like I said, just the coolest job title imaginable. We didn't ask him this, but surely he has business cards that say that. Oh, yeah. That has to feel good. What do you do? I'm master of the sword. What? I'll say, so I will add this. As, as a, this was a very interesting conversation for me because this is, as a civilian, you sort of, I mean, you know what West Point is, but to so kind of get into you know, we talked a little bit about the history of, of, of his program and kind of the, the things that cadets, including our very own Alex Morrow are exposed to 
turns out Alex hasn't always been as fit as he is now. And we, we dive into that a little bit. Colonel Gist, uh, the academic and scholar that he is, actually went back and looked at some of Alex's scores, and, and we discussed that a little bit. But just a really interesting conversation, definitely a unique perspective at, at kind of organizational fitness, organizational human performance. And so I think there's a lot of, a lot of useful takeaways here for folks that are embedded you know, across the force and different teams and thinking about best practices. So enjoy. You're on the spot now. You have to tell us all the secrets about the uh, about West Point. Yeah. <laughs> How does the sorting hat work? <laughs> yeah, I love it. I never heard that. Well, obviously, it didn't. There, that didn't exist when I was a cadet. But um, I read the books. So my when I was in Iraq in nine ten, my son would read a book and then he would send one to me. And then you know, I, I guess when I got back to West Point in 2013, I heard that and I'd never even thought of it. But, it was, you know, West Point's like Hogwarts. Yeah, I mean, I've only seen it in pictures of it. I mean, it looks like it. Yeah. Well, we gotta we gotta figure out a good starting point here. So I think the the question I can ask to start is really what what is DPE? Because I've gotten this question before. People have asked me, like, is it is it like being a gym teacher? Is it academic? Like what is it? What is like the guiding concept of like what DPE's mission is? Yeah, so the, the Department of Physical Education or DPE, I think if you're an insider, uh, you know, a cadet or certainly someone who works here, you, you know, obviously what we do. But for someone who's not, um, hasn't been part of our culture, hasn't been a cadet, they really don't know. So they kind of have these, maybe, maybe they don't know anything like officers that come to work for us that, you know, commissioned out of ROTC. They just, they know kind of what they want to do. But bottom line is what we're trying to, to develop in cadets is physical fitness and mental toughness. And I've come over time, I've come to really believe that the latter mental toughness is more what our program's about. You know, fitness is a, you know, it's a daily habit, but mental toughness requires, in, in most cases, is going to require some external influence, right? So some experiences that are are put in front of you that you have to kind of fight, fight through and experience, you know, both success and failure. Uh, and then, you know, come out the other side, more confident, greater self-efficacy, uh, increased confidence. And our program does that. Uh, and I think it does it in a number of different ways, but, you know, some will also joke that we're just glorified PE teachers. Yeah. I've heard that. Uh, <laughs> I had, we sponsored, cadets over the years and uh there's i don't know if you've ever heard of yodel it's this anonymous social media um where you can post and then people thread off of it and i've had cadets tell me yeah you know cadets will post that you're just a glorified p teacher and i'm like you got it i love it i accept it i go to work every day uh it's a great job and yes i get to teach physical education it's pretty cool well i i think about that a lot and like people have heard me riff on this and Drew and I've talked about it before, but I think a, a really good PE teacher, frankly, can have a dramatic amount of impact on someone's life. And I wish we emphasized it more in like K through 12 education yep. that like, and you kind of talked about it with the mindset thing. That's what's really being developed. I was just hanging out with a strength coach up here in Alaska an hour ago. And we, we kind of came to the conclusion that the mindset piece is the most important one. 
the the physical stuff is easy to measure and looks cool on Instagram and stuff, but yeah, I mean, I, I, this, I've talked about this more lately too, even when I pop into cadet classes, especially with the uh, RP 450, which is given to cows or our juniors at West Point. And, and I've heard Colonel Beagleman, Kevin Beagleman talk about it a lot too. And that is we need to do more in our society or get back to maybe some things that were done, you know, um, you, you know, JFK emphasized where we had, you know, post-World War II, uh, we had vets in schools teaching physical education and in, in some ways instilling discipline, but also, you know, being role models, exemplars of, of how you commit to just, maybe it's not even physical fitness, it's just physical activity in general. And if we've got to get that back in our schools, um, some do it well, um, some don't do it well, and some don't do it at all. And we've got to get better. Uh, it's, and it, as we've heard a number of different times, if you work in DOD or you're around DOD, you, you read article after article right now about how it's a national security issue. Well, you, you brought us to the next point. I was going to ask about the, the army struggling with recruiting, the like fitness of people coming into the army is a risk in terms of the injuries during basic training and all that stuff. Are, are you seeing that the cadets that show up for cadet basic training, are they less fit than cadets in the past were? Are they, are they more fit? What, like what's changing? What's the trend that you're seeing? Yeah, that's a, a probably a really good question for some of our faculty that have, have seen multiple generations. And in some ways I have, you know, I taught in the department of physical education, 03 to 06. And then now uh, since 2013, and, and, the, and here's a good thing about the West, about West Point, uh, our admissions process uh, is stringent. We certainly attract a really high quality uh, young man and woman with great intellectual attributes, character attributes, uh, fitness attributes, a desire to serve, you know, a propensity to serve. And we have a, we have pretty high expectations in that admission admissions process. And one of them is the candidate fitness assessment and that six event test. uh, It's been in place for many, many years. Its predecessor was a multiple event test as well. And it's not much different now. But that six event test requires that, you know, a, a high school or post high school or even a soldier show us that they have the physical attributes where they can come in and at least start at a threshold or baseline that sets them up to be successful in our program. That being said, I do see some differences now. Uh, and those differences are, you know, I, I don't point fingers at anyone and, and, how do I say this? It, it, it's, yeah, I don't point fingers at anyone because we're going to develop them, right? We're not lowering our standards for our, our seven physical education courses, our fitness testing, or the requirement to be a competitive athlete at West Point. Uh, everyone's going to have to meet those and still does to, to graduate and commission, become a second lieutenant. But the path for some may be a little more difficult than it was in the past. And I think part of that is Uh, kids don't grow up playing the way kids used to. And I simplify it. Kids should be outside climbing trees, uh, throwing rocks, maybe engaging in sport, but it doesn't have to be formal organized sport. It can be made up games. Um, And and that is also part of, you know, how you develop relationships and how you again, deal with success and failure. And I think our society being more sedentary, there's no doubt that our youth are more sedentary as well. 
And there's a little bit of that, that that we can see at West Point. But again, our we have entrance requirements to assure that, you know, not that we bring in the greatest athletes of the most physically fit young men and women, but that they have met a, a minimum set of attributes so that injury risk can be mitigated and managed and so that we can start them on a path towards uh, optimal performance. And that's really what we want. And that's, that's a joint venture. That's a joint venture between us as faculty and staff, as well as the, the cadets and their, their cadet leadership. You know, there's a self-development pillar there as, as long with the, uh, the organizational or institutional pillar that we have for development. Yeah. So, okay. This might be too big of a, not too big, but this, I know this is a big question for this early in the podcast, but you've got me thinking about entry requirements, physical testing. I mean, I have never even been to West Point, but obviously I know plenty of people that went there and for all intents and purposes, like it produces excellence in its own sort of microcosm that it's created with history and tradition, et cetera. The question I kind of have as you're talking through that is how do you take that and blow it out at an army level? Because it seems like the things that West Point has done so well in terms of selecting the right people, making sure they're physically fit, instilling all these values are things that big army wants to do, but they seem to get it all backward where PT is seen as punishment. The entry standards are so low. We have to deal with all these people that don't even want to be there in the first place. So I guess within that maybe is this question of like, is it even possible to take some of that and and make it like make it industrial, if that makes sense. Uh, I mean, I, again, I've been at West Point for a long time now, um, did have a deployment here and there over the last nine years since I've been at West Point, but, I, but I've been here a while. And so I, I can't say that I have, you know, current in-depth knowledge of, of um, you know, what's going on at the tactical level in an army, you know, let's say rifle company, for example. Um, you know, you alluded to some things that, that certainly could be uh, symptoms of a larger problem. Um, I, you know, I think the demands of our profession are high. I actually had, was teaching a class yesterday here on really on character growth. It wasn't even physical education and the demands of our profession are high and they need to stay high, uh, because the stakes are high, you know, winning matters. And we hear, you know, army chief of staff and secretary of the army tell us winning matters. And we're here to, here to build cohesive teams that are highly trained, disciplined, and fit. To me, that sounds really simple, uh, but if we can just focus on fundamentals, like the fundamentals of how to move correctly, the fundamentals of how to fuel your body correctly, the fundamentals of proper rest and recovery, uh, if we can instill those fundamentals, you know, then we can take, start to take bigger steps. But ultimately, a large organization like the Army, you know, we've got to stay focused on those fundamentals and maybe even more so now, again, because where do we draw our, our, our people from, our most valuable resource? We draw our people from a society that has changed. And, uh, you know, we're, we're seeing that, I suppose we're seeing it, again, based on things I read and, and understand that it's, we've, we've had some difficulty recruiting and meeting in-strength goals. But we've got to maintain a high quality because, again, and I'm just going to keep saying it, I guess, winning matters. And, and you don't win by accident. You win through positive professional habits. And so how, so how, 
you know, we, I, I would suppose we do things well. Look, West Point's really well resourced. The, the Army doesn't have a Department of Physical Education for every brigade sized element. But the great thing is that the Army, through its holistic health and fitness concept, has begun to move in a direction that is somewhat like, and, it, and maybe even I could argue if, we, if we're doing it right, better than what we do in the Department of Physical Education because of the resources that, that could be pooled. Now, all that being said, leadership still has to be fully engaged in this process. And that's leadership at all levels. You know, whether that's, you know, education, educating through professional military education, our, our role in educating, training, inspiring here there at the military academy and, uh, you know, commissioning about a thousand officers each year that then go out and that, that hopefully influences formations in the army. I believe it does. So I think we can do it that way. I think our, our graduates have an obligation and a, uh, a professional, uh, you know, like it should be part of their ethic and their stewardship to go out and, and take all the great resources and opportunities they've had here and not just share that with the army, but, but make it a top priority, you know, people first, right? People matter and, and you know, our, our people are at the heart of lethality and lethality is the heart of winning. Uh, when it comes to first deterring aggression and then winning our nation's wars. So I don't have the answer. Bottom line is I don't have the answer. I'm maybe talking around it, uh, how we outsource it. it. It requires resources, but it, if, if we're going to have a culture shift, and I've seen evidence of that, um, H2F is, is a big part of that. Um, the ACFT is probably even a smaller part of that because it's a component of H2F, but a shifting culture within the army when it comes to physical readiness and lethality at the individual team squad, you see there was just an all, a best army squad competition. When you start to see those things, you know, filter out through the army, it's, it's positive. And I, I heard, a, you know, someone was listening to, a, I guess, an army senior leader, I won't say his name today, talking about, well, how do you motivate people? And he says, well, I motivate people through competition. And so I think you know, that can be done at the smallest unit level where you use competition as a means to motivate and inspire people to be better. Um, so we have competition at West Point too, a lot, you know, every cadet and athlete, everyone competes in competitive sports. Um, you know, in some ways, the, the way that we track everything that cadets do quantitatively in their performance creates a level of healthy competition. We have to have that in balance with our other outcomes but I think competition's one way that, that we can get to a place we want to be with regard to soldier and, and unit readiness. I'll ask one in terms of like changes that have happened around DPE. You got, you got back there in 2013, which is just as I was graduating. And some of my classmates were among the first people to be kinesiology majors it's been cool to see like the ramping up in terms of like the number of cadets going through that program and also the amount of research that's happening because West Point sits on just an absolute wealth of human performance data. I, I didn't realize it at the time, but like your first day there, you're going through the hallway where you're getting your uniforms and your duffel bag and all that stuff. And you have to do, you go to a station and see how many pull-ups you can do. And I didn't like realize at the time that that was data collection stuff in terms of like correlating that with performance throughout your time as a cadet. What, what are you guys hoping to achieve with the kinesiology major? Like, what is that, what is that doing for DPE? What is that doing for academics? What's that doing for the army? 
Yeah, you, I'm just going to be admit right up front now, um, a, a long-term vision for us. Uh, it's difficult to take kinesiology and do really in-depth research and solve big problems without graduate students and a faculty that can be committed to that, right? Time and expertise are both resources. The majority of our faculty are subject matter experts in uh, basic physical education, um, coaching, uh, human performance, but not you know, at tremendous depth, let's say, for example, in um, exercise physiology. Now, we do have a couple of exercise physiologists. Uh, we do have a doctor of athletic training. We do have performance psychologists, a couple of those. Um, so I, I think in terms of a vision, what, how we can influence the Army is those 16 cadets that graduate with the Bachelor of Science each year with uh, study in depth and kinesiology, that's a, a group of, of now second lieutenants that can go out and be a resource for commanders in the Army. You know, I don't know if we're going to get to an MOS or an area of concentration or a branch that within H2F where those officers could help there. The other thing we have each year is we send you know, about six of our officers that finish their three-year assignment here, they leave with a master's degree and three years of on-the-job training in uh, leader development and human performance optimization that can also, if they choose to, you know, choose not to stay in their basic branch, could also be a resource for, for holistic health and fitness in the Army. Uh, but I think, you know, in terms of solving, you know, big Army problems with um, human performance. We've done some partnership, of course, with Tradoc CIMT, but they've done the, the bulk of the work. But, you know, you know that Dr. Chip East was behind baseline soldier physical readiness requirements study, and he was a 13-year veteran of our department. Actually began that study on sabbatical from DP. Uh, you've got Ke Colonel Kevin Beagleman, who's been a tremendous resource for Tradoc and the Army and H2F. Um, you've got Lieutenant Colonel Nick Berenger, who's down at Fort Sam Houston, teaching, you know, many of the Army's uh, soon-to-be uh, performance experts in uh, nutrition. you got Major Nick Rinaldi working Army Futures Command uh, on, you know, the cutting edge of, of human performance projects. Um, so I think there are ways where the Department of Physical Edu Education can influence the way ahead, but I don't want to oversell our, our undergraduate major for right now. We've got great kids they're, they continue to do great things in the Army, but I think maybe there's some unrealized potential there, um, and, and we'll just have to continue to refine that vision uh, into the future. Well, I'll tell you what, in terms of the like, effort to better educate Army leaders on how to lead training that makes sense, um, having, having been through DPE's program at least circa 2009 to 2013, and then having been through the master fitness trainer course and teaching it, I can tell you because of the time frame you guys have, you're able to do so much more over that period of time in terms of like, I, I showed up at MFT basically knowing just about everything that was taught in that class, because it was taught in a, a way that's a little bit easier to learn it. Cause you're doing it over like half a semester or a full semester right. with these classes. I think I, I, hope the current cadets are appreciating how well prepared they are compared to some of their peers in terms of how to lead a training plan for both like individuals like themselves and for like the unit they're responsible for once they commission. But yeah, 
it's a pretty robust process. I think we've had some conversations recently about how do we get more of that into ROTC? Cause there's, there's a lot of opportunity, I think. And we've seen some schools do it already in terms of partnerships between kinesiology, exercise physiology programs, and then the ROTC program. Cause we've got graduate students that want the hands-on experience of training people. They might be interested in tactical as a career. They get to go out there and train some of these cadets. And now the cadets get coaching from somebody who's really knowledgeable. There's, there's a lot of good that could be achieved there. If we can build up some of these partnerships and help more of the people who are going to go be junior leaders across the army, learn some of these fundamentals in a structured way. Yeah. No, I mean, I sat in on part of a lesson today in our class, it's called PE 450 uh, army fitness fundamentals. And, and at its core is field manual seven 22. And, um, but also we use some supplemental supplemental material from another organization's textbook. And, and I think that's a, that's a tremendous opportunity for cadets to really take what they've learned at West Point and begin to apply it at that, I guess you'd say master fitness trainer level or that platoon leader level where you're examining the requirements an organization might have its essential tasks, what those essential tasks look like physically, breaking it down into components and then building that back up uh, with the programming, the programming knowledge, periodization, knowledge of periodization uh, and applying it in a way that, that starts to make sense. And so when they leave that class, you know, they've got an eight week physical readiness training plan that could be the foundation for their first unit. And so, you know, their, if their commander, company commander has been through that same program here, they can look to that lieutenant and say, hey, you went to West Point. I know you took these courses. Here's my guidance. Go. And they ought to be able to turn it around pretty quick and have a, a good program if there's not one already in existence. Do you ever get any dialogue after the fact? So if someone graduates, they have this, this breadth, depth of knowledge. And then now all of a sudden they're in the real world, the real army. Do you get any, any feedback in terms of like areas of improvement, things that might need to change, whether that's from the, the student's perspective or organizationally, how to better receive folks that have, have that level of knowledge? Yeah, we have in years past, you know, I've been part of a couple of trips to the army war college where we sat down with small groups of former battalion commanders and asked them, um, there about their experience with our graduates and, and across a number of different attributes, not just physical fitness or, or knowledge therein. Um, but I obviously, I obviously tune into the ones that are, are based on our program outcomes and we get good feedback. Um, it's not, it's not perfect, uh, but we've gotten positive feedback. I think that's an area where we can continue to improve and get feedback from those recent company grade officers, right? So lieutenants and, and captains, who can provide us, you know, here's some things you might want to consider. I think what we've done most recently is we've had a few folks go to the master fitness trainer instructor course, and we're always assessing our, our courses and our program. And that led us to a point right now where with that class, I was just talking about P450, uh, we've, we've made some evolutionary changes to not only bring in holistic health and fitness as a concept, you know, across the five domains, um, but also bring in some of those elements of uh, the master fitness trainer, master fitness trainer instructor course that we didn't have, or we needed to refine in our course. So various forms of feedback, uh, but we're probably, we can do even better by reaching out to recent grads. 
and we've we've kind of danced around this a little bit but i mean for me as someone who who didn't go to west point can you kind of walk and you don't have to go class by class for this but just from like the first year someone shows up to when they kind of get out what what is kind of the vision mission of of your program and what do you want them to learn and what does that look like across that that journey yeah yeah i can do that i do that all the time so our vision is cultivate culture of physical fitness excellence it's very aspirational of course um, but we're trying to create a culture again i talk about positive professional habits and part of our positive professional habits sit on a foundation. This is the way I describe it now. I don't know how everyone else describes it. The foundation really are those non-physical domains of, of sleep, nutrition, mental, and spiritual readiness. And on top of those, that foundation sits your physical readiness. And if any of the, that part of that foundation is crumbling, that physical readiness is going to suffer, right? There's going to be some gaps or some holes or some weaknesses therein. So the first class, generally the first class cadets will take, or the two first classes they take their freshman or plebe year are PE 215, uh, which is foundations and personal fitness. And that's an introduction to holistic health and fitness. It's an introduction to the basics of exercise physiology. There's a, a sleep project in there, a sleep monitoring project. There's a nutrition project. We have a cadet fitness challenge. It's an 11 event fitness test. It doesn't take place over one hour, or even one day, but it's uh, various events across the domains that give a, a larger profile of, of where I am as a cadet. And, and then we'll focus on one of those because it's a short course. It's only 19 lessons. Focus on one of those and try to develop that using you know, specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, and time-based goal. So that's PE 215. And the other course cadets take plebe year is uh, P116 boxing. That's a change. So every cadet takes boxing. So men have been taking it since the early part of the 20th century. Women didn't begin taking it uh, until six years ago. So every cadet takes boxing. And that really is our introduction to the warrior ethos. Yes, we teach boxing skills. We have to. That's what the course is. It's, it's a necessary part. But really what we're teaching and exposing cadets to is a one-on-one -on -one confrontation where they have to manage their fear, manage their arousal, uh, and then demonstrate their ability to make, you know, decisions in that confrontational environment. Um, so it's boxing, you're fighting, you're getting hit and you're, you're hitting others. So that's the first year. And then kind of woven through the summers, we have physical readiness training, physical readiness training leadership, uh, we've also, in, in the recent years, uh, gotten more touch points in modern Army combatives. Uh, so then when you enter your sophomore or your third class year, we call it yearling year here, um, they're going to take survival swimming, which is certainly a course in the aquatic environment, right? We put them in the water, but ultimately it's an operational environment. So they're going to, when we get near the end of that course, they're in Army combat uniform to include boots to include Molly that weighs 12 to 15 pounds and a weapon. And we're asking them to do things to um, get to a position of safety, uh, to ditch those, that heavy equipment if necessary, uh, and then to use their clothing as flotation devices. Uh, and, and all of that's being done in stressful circumstances, right? That's, that's not comfortable to do those things. And so getting outside your comfort zone for most, not all, uh, for most is an incredibly impactful set of experiences 
And then also that second year, cadets are going to take a class called Military Movement, PE 117, uh, very well known to our graduates over the last you know, many decades. It's a course that's based in applied gymnastics, uh, jumping, landing, climbing, crawling, tumbling, traversing. In the end, the big event is the legendary indoor obstacle course test, uh, but so many other assessments on a daily basis from climbing a rope vertically using four different techniques, climbing a rope horizontally using three different techniques, different tumbling, different vaulting, landing, team building skills, a lot of opportunities to excel in that course, but it challenges a lot of people again, because, you know, we've, we've probably come a couple of generations from when, you know, more kids did those kind of things in their K through 12 physical education. Now the majority do not do those kind of things. So it's very new to them. If you're, if you're athletic or the way I would define athletic, the course is really not that difficult. But if you haven't done those things, they're new. So it's, it's also a challenging experience for several. So that takes you through the end of your second year. Uh, in your third year, which we call cow year, that's a, that's a long story there on why they're called cows. But you're going to take modern army combatives. We call it combat applications, but it is modern army combatives, our current course director. He was the one that developed the army's current program. And, and we hired him five years ago. And he's done great things with combatives at West Point. It's what you might imagine. You know, you're going to learn some, um, some takedown skills. You're going to learn some grappling skills. You're going to learn, learn some submissions. And we're, then we're going to have cadets fight one-on-one. -on -one. We're going to put them in that environment where winning matters and demonstrating mental toughness matters. And then also that year, they're going to take the course I've already talked about, P450, uh, which is taking what they've learned in the other courses to that point and during their other experiences, especially in cadet summer training, and then applying that at the unit level. And then finally, their first class year, uh, while they're also leading the Corps in, in those primary leader officer, cadet officer leadership positions, they're going to take a lifetime physical activity course. And we have anything from uh, advanced level one combatives to scuba to ball sports like volleyball, basketball. We do cycling class, we teach scuba, we teach downhill skiing, snowboarding. So another opportunity for cadets to explore something maybe that they haven't done before, something they've always wanted to do uh, and, and truly enjoy that last experience. It's something they can take with them, hopefully for the rest of their lives. So that, that wasn't really in a nutshell, but that's what our physical education program looks like. We do fitness testing, twice a year Army Combat Fitness Test, excited about that. Now that's the test of record. And then we also have an indoor optical course test, which every cadet takes as learns and takes as part of that P117 military movement course. And then every cadet must take and pass the indoor optical course test during their third year and or first class year uh, proximal to graduation. And then finally, I've, I've also said this, every cadet and athlete. So General MacArthur, when he's superintendent, he believed that if we have athletes, we'll have soldiers. And so he made it uh, compulsory that each cadet participates in either uh, the intercollegiate level, we call it core squad, the club level or the company level, intramural athletics. So every cadet competes on a team each semester at one of those three levels. So it's an immersive environment. It's a very physical culture here. Um, I think for outsiders that come here, they're always amazed at the amount of activity that's going on at West Point. Um, so cadets stay busy in all things but they're certainly staying busy in the physical domain. 
Alex, what's your best obstacle course time? I don't actually remember. I should go look it up. I looked it up. <laughs> so I, I've talked to a few people when I was back at West Point. Um, I, I learned while I was there. Well, was that last weekend? Was that that recently? You sent me a picture of you on the wall last week. The last, the last couple of weeks have been fast. I've been in D.C. I've been at West Point. I'm in Alaska now. It's out of control. I learned while I was there that the like the system they have to monitor all of the cadets metrics, it doesn't, it doesn't purge data after you leave. So you can find people all the way back to like 1999, 2000 ish. Yep. Yep. Uh, you can look up all their stuff. And I think this is, this is something I actually think is pretty neat. Um, Colonel Gist probably realized it as he looked me up. There, there are people who like, because of me running the Mops and Moes page, assume that I was just like into physical fitness from the beginning and was all about it. And that is uh conclusively not true. Uh, I entered West Point uh, fairly underweight. Um, if I had like actually gone through the process the correct way, I, like they would have like noticed that I was like under the height, the, the tables, but I was just told to like eat more eggs and drink more milk or something and gain a little weight. But the, the DPE stuff was the area I struggled with the most while I was a cadet um, the academics kind of came to me easily. The physical stuff was a little bit harder. And I think there was a ton of value in kind of being forced into environments where you're uncomfortable being forced to reckon with things that challenge you. Um, and I, I got a lot out of it in terms of like, would I, if I'd gone somewhere else for school, I don't think I would have been forced to confront those things as much. And by going through DPE, I was forced to like, and like getting over like the hardest part is always starting. Right. So getting into the pool and dealing with some of that or getting punched in the face a couple of times and dealing with some of that that makes you realize it's not actually as scary as it might've seemed before you started. And I got a ton out of the program. So I know like I was, I was an international relations major at the time, but when I go back and I visit people, I end up visiting like coaches I had in the department of physical education. And it, it did a lot for me. I don't know if everybody else has a similar experience. Some people have some fairly painful traumatic experiences in the department, but I got a lot out of it. Yeah, that's great to hear. So I so I did look you up because like you said, you can go back to about the 2000 frame. And so I will just define it this way without getting into specifics. Alex, you demonstrated the kind of growth that we want to see from everyone, right? There's a different start point for everyone, but you demonstrated the kind of growth that was indicative of your commitment, was indicative of the type of program we have and the demands we place on cadets. But you responded to that. And in you know, I, uh, my predecessor in this job at one time, he spent some time kind of trying to show what growth looks like. And I would say if we were to kind of plot your performance out and, and the variables aren't always, you know, comparable, but if we were to plot it out in kind of arbitrary units, if you will, uh, you demonstrate the kind of growth that we want to see in, um, in cadets and in our leader development program. Shout out, Alex. I... I attribute a lot. I'll do some, some brief shout outs, but I attribute a lot of that to the climbing team. Cause so I did, I did the club side of climbing, which won't mean anything to a lot of people, but it was, it was where I like found a physical activity, a sport that I cared enough about to start getting into like the training for it kind of side. Cause it's to like to pass ACFTs and to pass minimum requirements of the army doesn't take a whole lot. Um, and I, I, this kind of leads me to the question I wanted to ask is that West Point enforces a lot of physical standards that are entirely different from or higher than what the rest of the army does. And 
it, it can be really hard in this culture to like create a higher standard and then enforce that higher standard when there's this like baseline that everybody knows they're not going to get kicked out as long as they meet that. What is it about the culture there and the leadership there and things like that, that allow the organization to do that? Cause I think that's something that the rest of the force could really benefit from. Yeah. So I'll try to come back to current day, but I'm going to go back to um, when I came to West Point in 1990 and when I reported for our day and, you know, things were kind of hectic and you didn't, your head spinning and there's so much going on. You you really don't even know where you are. People are using words you don't know. And, you know, there's a lot of shouting going on and you're meeting new people. I kind of go back to the cadet role models that were the leaders around me every day. My cadet basic training platoon sergeant, cadet basic training platoon. And we're talking about people who are just two or three years older than I was only two or three years removed from that same experience that I had as a new cadet when I, I had no idea what was going on. I didn't have a military background. I had never visited West Point. And so right away, you're immersed in this environment of excellence. And I think that excellence is by having those exemplars. So they could be moral ethical exemplars. They can be uh, exemplars that demonstrate presence. They could be those that um, have an incredible intellect. And ideally it's someone that has some of all of those things. And when you're immersed in that environment, you, I think you want to be better. There's sort of a, an informal competition. Maybe you know, we'd like to say it's an internal drive for everyone. It's an intrinsic motivation. But I think at first there's a lot of extrinsic motivation because you wanna, you wanna keep up, you wanna be better based on everyone you see around you. That includes the staff, the faculty, the coaches, this, this, the whole, again, the whole environment here. So that's kind of how I saw things, or at least how I reflect on them now, uh, you know, 32 years removed from my first day at West Point. And then it was kind of, you know, your peers that you, you became close to. I think someone's, you know, you're always defined by those, the five closest friends, the five closest people around you. I think, you know, you, we surround ourselves by people we want to be like, and there's a lot of very um, talented people that, that end up here for one reason or another. Uh, and everyone has their different reasons for wanting to seek out this opportunity and, and then ultimately to serve. Um, but I, as I come forward 32 years from my R day and approximately 28 years from when I graduated and commissioned, I see it from the other side now as a department head with, you know, a team of 70 professionals who come to work each day and their purpose, because so this kind of goes towards spiritual readiness and holistic and health and fitness, their purpose and their why is to come to work each day and not collect a paycheck, not to mark time. It's to make cadets better, to develop leaders of character, to educate, train, and inspire. And, and we have people that absolutely love doing that, right? It's their purpose. It defines their passion. And when you put a lot of people like that in one place together, I think you, you start to see a, again, I would call it an informal competition or a healthy competition where everyone wants to get better. Like our, we have people in our department who they'll just take PE classes to get better, to experience things cadets are experiencing, to learn from other, uh, other faculty members, to push themselves into domains or, or in places where they've never been pushed before. And I, again, I think that's a very positive thing to show cadets. And we have cadets that do the same thing. 
we have cadets that are constantly pushing themselves to be better, uh, to seek out that next level of, of performance, that next, the next challenge that's going to make them better. And uh, so why, you know, how are we able to, to have those high standards? You know, one, it's, I, I think that, that that's the expectation. You know, my parents, I, I think when they visit here, you know, my dad said this, whenever he visits West Point leaves, he feels better about our nation. And I never really thought that way. I think that way now. And I agree. I feel better about our nation and I get to go to work here every day. Like I have, you know, seven minutes to take me walk from my house to Arvin Cadet Physical Development Center. And I get to do that every day. Uh, what an awesome privilege and opportunity. And uh, I think when you're in an environment like that, you don't want to just settle. You want to continue to raise the bar. We bring in, you know, we graduate a thousand each year and bring in about 1200 new each year. So we're kind of starting over, if you will, with the core of cadets in a way. Um, but we always want to continue to push that bar higher and higher if we can across those 47 months or four years. Um, and that's where we're able to, to have high, high standards and high expectations and demand a lot of cadets and, you know, the academic program, the military program, the physical program, our character expectations in relationships and leading their peers and following their peers. It's pretty incredible. We have, you know, amazing talent here, but, you know, even with all the talent, there, there are these, you know, you got to have the intangibles, I guess I would call them. I, I read a book this past summer called Intangible. It's about professional baseball. Uh, you know, here we are in the postseason of Major League Baseball, but it was about the intangibles that certain players bring to that 24 or 25 person roster on a professional baseball team. And those intangibles, you know, we, it's hard to define or quantify them in, in terms of runs scored or, or wins or championships. But when we see it, when we see excellence, we ought to recognize that, reinforce it, and continue to, to push the bar higher. Awesome. I will, for, for the listeners out there, he's, he didn't get into specifics of my grades or anything in his department, <laughs> but he, I'm sure he noticed that my first APFT I took upon arrival, I failed it. And that that's not that uncommon. I know I had classmates who failed the initial one and by the end of basic training, you do fine. Yep. But I think I'm, I'm kind of, I kind of like that because I think there are a lot of people that work in the fitness space that fitness came naturally to them. They grew up being super athletic and super fit. And I, I kind of appreciate having the experience of not having it come naturally. Cause I think those are the people I would rather communicate with and help are the ones who, who don't immediately jump into it and have a great time. I will ask you, you use the term, the legendary IOCT, um, and it does have a certain degree of legend around it. The, the coach I was hanging out with earlier, early in his career, he did an internship with army athletics. And part of that was taking the ACFT. He mostly worked on like the intercollegiate athletic side, but he, they did bring them all down and they took the ACFT when he did it or not the ACFT, the IOCT. Yeah. And he still talks about that all the time as like the assessment people should be taking. What is it about the IOCT that has made it such like a foundational component of the cadet experience there? Like, why does it stay around? It hasn't, I don't know when it was modified or what the history is or anything like that, but what makes it such a key component of the experience? And is it the ultimate tactical assessment? <laughs> well, I don't know if it's the ultimate tactical assessment, but it comes close. You know, we're not in gear, so we're in shorts and t-shirts and, and athletic shoes. 
Uh, we're in a, a pretty environmentally temperate, you know, the environment's pretty temperate inside Hayes Gym there. Um, I think what makes it great is that in a couple of minutes time, in a few minutes time, we can say go and someone can cross the finish line and we've assessed muscular endurance, anaerobic power, aerobic capacity, agility, balance, coordination, mental toughness, and some might argue perhaps muscular strength. Um, I'm not sure that's quite there, um, but it's, you know, you're competing with yourself. You're competing against the clock. You're competing for a grade. Um, you're pushing each other. I remember when, when I took it as a cadet, my roommate and I pushed each other. Uh, it was kind of, an, you know, our competition to, you know, who's going to have the best time this year. Um, so it, some would probably say, well, it's a rite of passage. And that's okay. Uh, there's a historical significance to the IOCT and that every graduate since the 60s uh, has taken it, you know, multiple times and has experienced the, you know, when you finish an event like that, the all out exhaustion that comes with, you know, pushing yourself to, to your limits. And, you know, some would say I pushed myself beyond my limits. The reality is if you're, you know, a performance psychologist, you probably didn't quite get to your limits. Uh, but that's okay. You know, if you're, if you're pushing and challenging yourself, uh, I think the strength of the IOCT is that it's uh, relatively short, uh, one gymnasium, uh, you're in there with your peers, you're not alone. Uh, you've got people watching you. So it's got that competitive atmosphere, stadium like environment. And then we're going to take your grade and we're going to, it's going to be part of, you know, how we assess you in the physical domain. And then the physical domain is how we, is part of how we assess cadets overall, because we believe it's that important to our profession. So I think all of those things make the IOCT, you know, I guess I use the word legendary, some would maybe say infamous. And there's a love-hate relationship with it. So folks in DP love it. Uh, the core of cadets maybe hates it. But I, I run across cadets all the time that actually enjoy it. I think they enjoy, you know, you can say, you know, going into the pain cave, I, people use different terminology. Dr. Todd Crowder used talks about going to the well. On the IOCT, you're going to ask maybe more of yourself than you ever have for, for many cadets, especially the first time they take it. And then they find that, oh, oh, I'm okay. Yeah, that was exhausting, but I'm okay. And then the second time they take it, they make, you know, like any, any curve, they make tremendous improvement. And then the third and fourth are still making improvement. And then they have to find creative ways to train to make those small improvements to get to whatever it is their, their desire to achieve, whether it's the A minus or above that gets you the IOCT tab to wear on your uniform, or if it's to pass for some, or if, you know, recently we've had a lot of cadets pursue the all-time record. The class of 2022, uh, both male and female currently hold the record. So it's not like it's, you know, 50 years ago we're still hanging on to that record. We have people pushing themselves, you know, to, to seek out and, and demonstrate excellence uh, each and every year. So there, there's so many things about the IOCT. Um, you know, the fact that everyone takes it, uh, everyone must pass it to graduate. That's only relatively recent. You know, old grads may say, may like to talk about the core has. No, the core has not. Uh, it's only been since the class of 2012 that you must pass the IOCT in order to graduate from the United States Military Academy. Uh, prior to that, cadets took it. It was part of their grade, but you didn't have to pass it. It's required. Why the change? So 
I think the, the primary reason for the change is we think it's that important and we think it's that high quality of a test. And, and we think having it as, as a integral part of our program demonstrates to anyone at West Point, again, staff, faculty, coaches, but especially to cadets that a, a well-rounded physical fitness and, and people use hybrid athlete, people use tactical athlete, whatever it is, that well-rounded fitness is what we seek in our soldiers and our leaders. And the IOCT is, you know, I have a mentor who says cadets respond to that, which is enforced. And I think the IOCT is a good example of, you know, you have to really put some preparation in to do well in this thing. And the ACFT is now there too. APFT, look, I'm going to be very candid here. The APFT, uh, I could roll out of bed, do push-ups, sit-ups and go for a two mile run and not be that big a deal. Uh, the ACFT, you know, to meet the minimums, I, I, I would agree for, for the major, overwhelming majority, the minimums are not that challenging, but to do well on that test across the six events, it's a great assessment. I mean, I think there's a lot of, you know, senior folks like myself or people that have, you know, spent time in the Department of Physical Education at West Point and in other places that for many, many years in, in back rooms and offices and you know, backyards over a beer talked about what their six event test would be. And the ACFT has gotten us pretty close to what those backyard conversations were saying. Has the, I'm glad you brought that up because the question I have is, has the ACFT specifically, but more broadly, sort of this shift, we mentioned it earlier, this shift towards like a more, I don't want to use the word functional fitness, but a more comprehensive testing profile has that changed anything that you guys are doing or do you think the product you were generating was already capable of handling this kind of new look at army fitness uh i think what we were doing we were maybe better suited to to maybe the broader army uh, and what was what was going on in the broader army there were pockets in the army doing great things no doubt about it certain units certain leaders but i, I kind of go back to you know whatever the test is is what people are going to train for we don't want you know, I, I don't, I'm not a believer in training for the test. I'm a believer that in 364, 363 days of the year, you do the right things. Those other two days of the year, just go have fun. It's part of building a cohesive team and wherever your score falls, put a mark on the wall and set some new goals. But I do think the ACFT can change fitness culture because now the demand is different, right? The demand says, I'm going to have to pick up something heavy and put it down three times. I'm going to have to uh, pick this 10 pound ball up and, and to use, use a word yeet over my head, get to triple tension, right? I'm going to have to, to generate some force very quickly to throw this ball as far as I can. Uh, and power is, Hey, look, let's be honest. Power is the key to success in any physical endeavor. No one can tell me different in this. And then, and it applies to a marathon too. Those athletes are athletes are generating an incredible amount of power across two out two hours and just over two hours and then the the push-up um when done properly i think is a great assessment the sprint drag carry i think is the unsung hero or maybe it's the sung hero uh the very evident hero of the test what an awesome assessment uh, i kind of liken it to the indoor obstacle course test and, and what it demands you know and then there's there's the fifth event and then there's the two mile run so th those six events are, uh, they're, they're quite demanding, you know, running two miles at the end of all that is not as easy as it was, 
uh, after doing push-ups and sit-ups. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I did pieces of it the other day, and I exactly found out sprint jack carry will mess you up. And the fifth event is challenging, but there's other options I think that might have been considered. I hey, look, the fifth event. It's a. Uh, I, I like the mental toughness aspect of it. I like the. You know, you got to be gritty um, to, to kind of, you know, maintain that isometric hold over an extended period of time. So, yeah. I, I remember I was at Fort Drum when the, the initial announcement happened about the ACFT and they like discussed what the events were going to be. And being who I was and being kind of a nerd, I immediately went over people at Fort Drum will know Atkins Fitness Center and I tried as many events as I could. I asked them if I could like take a 10 pound medicine ball outside and throw it around a few times, but doing the sprint track carry for the first time is like a good reality check of like, Oh damn. Like if you hadn't trained anything in that quote unquote anaerobic, but really just like higher intensity, short duration domain is a, I think I did it like three times that day. And that was like the bulk of my workout was doing three full efforts sprint track carries. Yeah, that that time domain has always been appealing to me personally. I, I've never been gr- really good at anything. Oh no, by the way, I failed my first APFT as a cadet as well. Um, so I'll, <laughs> I'll admit that here. And, and anyone who hears it, that's fine. I'm 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 fine with that. Failure is good, right? Failure drives you to to improve. But yeah, the sprint drag carrying that time domain of ninety seconds to two minutes. You know, kind of like the the 800 on the track, or like we were talking, like I was talking about the, the indoor obstacle course test, that time domain and an all out effort. I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, and you know, I, uh, I guess I'll invoke his name now, Dr. William Kramer. He, he's, he at one time called the battlefield, the anaerobic battlefield. And, and I would tend to agree with that based on, you know, my experiences is there's a lot of, time where there's very low intensity activity and then there are times when it's you know very high intensity high demand activity over short durations and it becomes intermittent intermittent in nature and you know of course i've studied high intensity interval training so i love those kind of things like the sprint drag carry i was going to say you talked about like change in culture and training the tests and things like that one very evident change in the culture having gone through the academy almost 10 years ago now to like visiting a week ago, there's a, there's a visible change in that the place is covered in gym in a boxes and pull up bars and like the ability to pull out a barbell whenever you want, wherever you want, right outside your barracks. And it's, it's pretty cool to see that activity going on. I know when I was like, you talked about the level of activity there, they're all, there are always people running around doing stuff. But when I was there, a huge percentage of that was just going for runs all the time and, and maybe finding a little patch of grass to, to do some push-ups or find a place to do some pull-ups or whatever it was. But the, the increased presence of resistance training in the culture is massive. And I see some of these videos of like cadets in their class uniform hitting like powerlifting totals between classes and just like absolutely ludicrous stuff. But that that's a pretty obvious kind of culture change and scenery change in the last few years. Yeah. I, I give a lot of credit to uh, now major general Curtis buzzard, uh, the commander at the maneuver center now, and he was the commandant uh, made a big push to make that happen. And then, you know, kind of by happenstance, 
we wouldn't have liked to have gone through it, but, but those gems in a box paid a lot of dividends uh, during the pandemic when we had you know, the necessity to be outside and not in you know, a lot of people in closed spaces like gymnasiums. I mean, gym, gyms closed all around the world, uh, but we had some options still at West Point. So he, he should get a lot of credit for that. Well, I'll ask one, because one of the most common messages I get from people on the page is, hey, how do, I, how do I get involved in human performance stuff? How do I get involved in H2F? How do I do these kinds of jobs? Because they're really appealing to people. And one of the ways to do that, at least if you're an officer, is to come teach in the Department of Physical Education. Mm-hmm. What, what does that require and what does that path look like if somebody's interested in that, taking their career in that direction? Yeah, thanks for asking that question. I think um, we're always trying to find creative ways to cast our net a little more widely. Um, so our faculties, our entire department, 72 folks, but our faculty is uh, 46 people. Uh, 22 of those are military and, and 24 are civilian. We call them Title 10 faculty here at, at the Military Academy. So I'll talk about the military. Uh, the majority of our military faculty are what we call junior rotators. So they're officers, uh, post-company command, uh, doing a broadening assignment, and, and we're able to be very selective in bringing them back to West Point. So those who went to school here kind of know what DPE is, have a general idea of what it entails. So we speak to those who, who probably have demonstrated, you know, the attributes here to potentially come back and teach. Uh, we meet with them at the end of uh, every year. We meet with the first class cadets and hope to inspire them or at least give them information on the opportunity and then ask them to open a file. And they can open it at any time on an application called Teach, T-E-A-C-E-C-H on the uh, westpoint.edu website. Uh, and then just stay in touch with us. And then after that, it's really about uh, timing and doing great things in the Army as a company grade officer, uh, because we want, we want to bring back officers who are uh, role models and not just in presence and physical fitness, but in you know, solving complex problems, um, mental, mentally agile, striving for impeccable character, uh, but no doubt a propensity to, to demonstrate outstanding physical fitness and then teach that is an important component. So at about the four or five year mark post-commissioning is when officers ought to start um, throwing materials in their file. So OERs, officer record brief, uh, seeking out letters of recommendation, taking the graduate record exam, you know, hoping, you know, not hoping, that's not the right word, lining up their career timeline such that they have a successful company command and then have that opportunity to, to go to graduate school and then do, do a three-year utilization tour. So the cycle is uh, we're getting ready to have a board now for year groups 16, 17, and 18. Can't believe we're already that far along. Um, but we're getting ready to have a board for the, those year groups where we'll take a look at the applicants, uh, we'll make selections, and then we'll finalize our selections in January, so in, in three months, and then those officers, once screened and approved by Human Resources Command, would start graduate school a year and a half later, do a year of a master's program at Texas A&M, Indiana University, or UNC Greensboro, and then right immediately following that year of a master's degree, come to West Point and serve a three-year utilization tour in our department. Um, it's a competitive pool of applicants, and we're looking for diversity in a number of different ways. So men, women 
different commissioning sources, different backgrounds, and it doesn't not have to be physical education, exercise science, or kinesiology background, although that is oftentimes, um, you know, what spurs an interest. So it's very competitive, and we pick about six per year, and we're on a three-year cycle. So we have approximately 18, 19 slots of those 22 or those junior rotating officers. And we're picking six a year out of a pretty large applicant pool. Uh, so very competitive. Also looking for different branches as well. But by no means does someone have to be an elite swimmer, an elite gymnast, an elite boxer, an elite fighter to come to the Department of Physical Education. Our officers come with great backgrounds and then we teach them how to teach. And that's where our civilian faculty comes into play. They're sort of like the, the NCO backbone, of you, if you will. They, they represent the continuity in the department, subject matter expertise, and you know, have long careers. I and mean, we have our longest serving civilians in his 34th year right now. Unfortunately, he's going to retire in August, Dr. Jeff Coelho. Uh, we have, I think, three or four others that are approaching that 30th year. Well, Dr. Todd Crowder's in his 33rd year. We have a few others approaching 30 years. And then on the other end, we have some younger faculty who've just been here a few years. So there's, you know, we, we're, we're looking, again, to cast our, our net as widely as we can. But the, you know, the folks that, that want to pursue physical education at the undergraduate and graduate level and then come teach it in the way that we teach it, that pool's pretty small. But, but the quality we're able to get is still really high. So we're proud of that. Uh, but yeah, visit westpoint.edu, look for the Department of Physical Education, and you know, they'll, you'll get all the information you need. If not, send us an email, make a phone call, and, and we'll get you all the information you need. Awesome. I've got kind of a, I guess we'll call it sort of a closing question, but from a growth standpoint and looking forward, and again, I, I hearken back to sort of the ACFT, the way that the Army's changing its thoughts around fitness and readiness. For your department specifically, and maybe even touching on West Point at large, but like, what are some what are some kind of key milestones you're looking at, and some key sort of hurdles you're looking at overcoming in the next couple of years? For our faculty, or just the core, the West Point in general? Just West Point in general, and the the department specifically when it comes to teaching and learning and, and preparing these cadets to step into this like quote unquote new army. Yeah. Uh, I think a, a big part of it has been over the last two years and will continue to be in the coming years is to continue to integrate holistic health and fitness into our curriculum and into our culture. You, you know, H2F or, or, you know, and you could put an equal sign, human performance optimization, it's not necessarily a new concept, but it is for the Army. And so the Army is a large organization. And so our ability to influence the Corps of Cadets, who then a thousand of them each year go out into the army and, and can influence the, the H2F uh, or fitness culture in the army is, is a positive thing. Uh, so we're going to continue to, to reinforce uh, that within our curriculum. Gosh, that's a, that was a tough question. You kind of caught me off guard with this one. You know, I would love to be able to find a way. And I had a, a discussion with a member of the admissions committee a couple of weeks ago. I would love for us to find creative ways to use our, you know, limited resources because our resources are pointed towards the core of cadets, right? There's 4,400 of them, but to use our limited resources to in some way, try to influence at least cadet candidates and those that are propensed to serve, but maybe in some ways, and this is probably a reach, hoping to influence 
and and this is huge, like big dreamy type stuff here, influence fitness culture in our society if we can. You know, so there's a lot of times now that when I talk to to people who either are parents of young children or who are likely going to be parents of young children, hey, let your kids get your kids outside to play. Get them involved in multiple sports. They don't need to play one sport early on year round. You know, if if that happens later on because of success, okay. But get them in multiple sports year round. Get them outside. Let them play. Let them them scratch their knees and elbows. They'll be okay. You know, I'm not saying to get in fights, but if they get in a little bit of a scrap, it'll be okay. You know, experience those kind of things because uh, we there, there are members of our department that have joked and maybe it's not much of a joke, but hey, we don't need a fitness test. What I want you to do, and they're, now they're talking to a young person aspiring to come to West Point. What I want you to do is go climb that tree and then come back down safely. Then go swim across that slow moving river. Then when you get to the other side, pick up a few rocks and throw them at that tree over there and try and hit that target, right? And those are the kind of things that if you're doing those on a day-to-day basis, you're kind of instilling the movement patterns that humans are all have always been have always meant to have. We're, we're not meant to sit in chairs and lay in beds and eat Cheetos and watch TV. Uh, um, we do that. That's the world we live in now. I get it, but get outside and play. Uh, so if we can get kids in a safe environment outside and, and playing and being creative and using their minds to, um, you know, connect to their bodies and their bodies to connect to their minds. You know, we're getting closer to what, you know, a, a lot of society, early societies did out of necessity. Um, but if we can bring some of that back, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know the DP or West Point can influence that. But if we could in some way, that'd be great. Well, shout out to my hosts right now. Um, I'm up here in Palmer, Alaska. It's roughly freezing outside. They have three, they have three small kids in the house. Um, and as gracious hosts and to help facilitate a good recording environment for the podcast, their mom sent them all outside to play right as I was starting. So like they have a pile of toys and trampoline and they're minimally supervised and just told to kind of go yeah. figure it out and entertain yourself. So that's what, that's what kids will do. And I'll circle this back to Hayes Gym. So those that have never... Maybe those that are listening or have, have, have or have not been to West Point, if you come, come visit Hayes Gym. When you walk in, what you're going to see is a gym that, that goes back to you know, previous generations. The environment is safe as long as you, you, know, you kind of mitigate the, the small risks that are in there. But if we were to put children in that gym, the adults would walk out, close the doors. The children would have an incredible time and want to come back day after day. That's what kids want to do. So if we can provide them those opportunities, I think they're going to be better off in so many different ways. I can't think of a better closer, Alex, unless you've got one. No, I can't. I can't live up to that one. <laughs> well, Colonel Giss, thank you for coming on. I mean, this was this was an inspirational look at kind of what you guys are doing up there. So thank you. Thank you, Drew. Thank you, Alex. I appreciate it. Hey guys, it's Alex. Hope you liked the episode. If you found it useful or enjoyed the conversation, please give us a rate and review on whatever platform you listen on. And we'd also appreciate if you're on Instagram, follow on the page. And if you want to reach out, DMs are always good, or you can email us at mopsandmoes at gmail.com. That's M-O-P-S-N-M-O-E-S at gmail.com.
See you next week.